Hello, and welcome to an episode of From Grief to Gold. I'm your host, Melissa Ann, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Laura Payne Stanley, and she just happens to be my former mentor, my former business coach. She is a trusted advisor and mentor, a TEDx and professional speaker, a certified NLP master coach, and she hosted the Wielding Legacy podcast, which has some amazing, amazing business-related recommendations, mindset shifts, all the things. I call it like a little bite size of what it's like to work with her. But that is not really what today's episode is about. Today's episode is about being childless, not by choice, and what it means to leave a legacy, especially for those who are childless. So thank you for joining, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. So I have Laura with me today. She is actually my former business coach and still my like off and on consultant, I feel like. Uh, she is an amazing human being, as you heard in the intro, but she also has her own struggles that she has had to heal from regarding wanting to have children and not being able to. So I wanted to have her join me today to kind of just walk through this struggle that unfortunately many people have had to deal with and finding the gold in this unfortunate circumstance. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mel. I can't wait to have this conversation because it's actually, it's a topic not many people talk about. Yes. And I think from what I've talked to different people with, like there's so many different versions of IVF or gestational carriers and all of the things. And even though the story is somewhat similar, I feel like it's, it's different for every single family, every single couple. And so it's really important to hear from as many different people I feel as possible. So, yes. So shall I tell you a little bit about our story and how I'm here as it were? Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. I would say blessed, I don't like the word lucky, but I've known my husband since I was two. Um, we actually were like little munchkins together. There's these really cute pictures of us like where we're teeny teeny people. Um, and our families were friends, but we were never like high school sweethearts or anything. We knew each other's name, but we, we didn't, we weren't like dating in school or anything like that. We did nothing like that. Um, and we got together in our twenties and we quite quickly decided we wanted to start trying for kids. And we were the first ones really in our friendship group to get married and then to start trying for kids. And very quickly, I've always been an intuitive person. That's how I am as a business coach and a success coach. And I just felt something was off. There was no reason for it. There was, there was nothing like mechanically, let's say, that was, was indicating that. But I just had this weird feeling in my stomach that something was going on. So we went in, because I'm based in the UK, we went to what we have our NHS here. So we're very fortunate for the fact that we can have, we have free healthcare. So we went to the doctors um, and it literally went from, we think there's something wrong to have, we went to the doctors, they referred us, we had one test. And that one test showed us that our percentage of ever, ever having our own kids naturally was already one third. So we went really quickly in the space of like six weeks from, hmm, I think there might be a problem to actually, you've only got a one in three chance of having children and we recommend IVF, full-blown IVF. Well, actually what we have is what's called ICSI. So you have IVF, um, which is basically, they put all the eggs in one sperm dish, 
is battle of the fittest. We have what's called ICSI, which is this one egg, one sperm, and they put them together and they do that for as many as you've got. So in a very short time from being a newly married couple, we had this, you've got a very limited chance of having children naturally and don't pass go, don't collect $200, don't do anything else. You should go straight on to full blown um, assisted conception. That's the only way you're gonna have children. And, you know, and the thing was in the UK, I wasn't even 30 when this happened, okay? So you just, you're like, what the, you, you don't really have a, a chance to get your head around it. And we'd never known anybody and be in that situation. So you only learn what you see in movies and what you see in soap operas and things. And there's this big discussion of, do you think it's ethical and all this other stuff? That wasn't our experience. It was literally like, right, you're under 30. If you want it, this is what you're gonna do. And you're like, whoa. And again, having no friends or family or experience of this, didn't know how much this thing cost. So when someone says to you, you need about 10,000 sterling to go through IVF. Now we had very, very good jobs at the time. We were both in corporate life. Um, we'd actually, another story, but we got married and we both lost our jobs. So we had no, you know, we'd gone from the fact that we both got married redundant, had no jobs to a year later, you know, we'd actually got ourselves both jobs and things like this to be told this. So we were doing well in life, but not so the fact that we had tens of thousands just in the bank hovering around. For a maybe. Yeah, for a baby. Well, for a chance of a baby. For, yeah, for a yeah, for a maybe for a of chance, it. Yeah. And so I mean that that was where it was. And we, you know, have in it's been, I'm 42 now. Okay. So it's been just under a 14-year journey. And I I we I say I because it's only me here, my husband's not talking to. Um, uh, but we are still childless. And that's through, you know, so many rounds of IVF. So many, we have, I have been pregnant. I have had twins, but I don't have children. Yeah. So there has been so many parts of this journey. And there's so many lessons that come out that people don't talk about. And one of the reasons for my personality traits in terms of being a success coach, a business coach, for people like you, Mel, and other people, especially when they've been through something is because money buys you freedom. And without availability to have money we couldn't have gone through all of the rounds that we've been through because it's it feels like an elite thing it feels like you have to have tens of thousands let alone the you know the impact on your body which is part of another conversation to do with it and all the, the other treatments and you know I think we counted that one time and it was something like ridiculous like 172 needles in one round that I've seen into. pictures of it and it's insane it's, and that's it's, just one 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 iteration of it so it's wild it's, there's so many things that you go through but when someone says if you want the thing that you want in life you need money and you go right okay and I'm not from an entrepreneurial background nor is my husband everybody else has jobs so when someone says that and you go well actually hang on we could work for a year to try and save up that money how do you, how do you do that how do you have tens of thousands for a shot because literally it's a gamble it's not you're not guaranteed anything it's just for that and so that was part of the lesson of how we kind of we got to where we are right now but so many things in terms of why I'm talking um, on your podcast is about grieving a life whether you end up with children or not you're still grieving this idea of what a family should be and how a family should come around and you know that it becomes very isolating 
it's it's I mean me and my husband we use humor a lot you know me well well Mel I use humor all the time yeah um it's one of the quickest ways I can shut down a conversation in a dinner party when someone says to me do you have children because I am over 40 and I say no and if I'm having a spicy mood then I will say no but thank you so much for asking it was a 14 year um fertility journey to get no children I mean that's the way to stop a conversation dead it's you know it's it's very similar I'm sure when you say I was widow at 26. Yeah, it's just I, like, make, I make young widow club jokes and people are like, oh. Oh, it's a tumbleweed moment, isn't it? It's that like, and people ask these questions. Do you have a partner? Do you have a husband or a wife? People make these questions without really understanding. And I often say to people, if you're meeting someone you don't know their story, never ask them, do they have children? I'm childless not by choice, but you can be childless by choice. You can be childless by circumstance. Bear in mind that can just be the fact that you've aged out. You never actually made the decision to have kids or not ha- didn't have them. It just, you aged out of it being possible for you. Ask, so ask someone, and I, this is one of my biggest pet peeves because you don't know someone's story and you don't know what kind of day they're having. And you could just be having a casual conversation and someone says, oh, do you have children? That is so triggering. And they have to go right scramble. Am I going to give my spicy answer? Am I going to give my polite answer? Ask them, oh, tell me about your family. Because tell me about your family. Yes, that could be triggering depends, but there's more scope for someone to say any kind of answer that they want to without it being directly related to children. And I've had that even with, with like when you mentioned about the spicy and like not getting into detail, I've had people like, because it is me and my son. And they're like, oh, like, so do you and his dad kind of have more? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, and it's like, they mean it, they mean it so like, hell, like hard dull. And then, but it's like, uh, well, he's dead. So no, <laughs> like, no. And it's, isn't that thing though, that. And then it's awkward. Yes. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, well, we just ruined the entire mood of this yeah, entire just detail. It's not one question. And Do I think people mean it in a nasty way? No, I think people just ask that question because this is this societal bias that we have around what a family unit should look like. You know, if we're going back not that long, we're we're even going back to the fact that it should look like a heterosexual couple and then they should have 2.4 children. I mean, that's why we have this like stupid saying about 2.4 kids, you know, because we have this idea. And so when you are in a life, whether you chose it or not, it is not that atypical people are still asking atypical questions and it's that moment of just take a beat just ask a different question of tell me about yourself because then you for fun like like, don't ask about my family (laughs) because someone said to you tell me about yourself depends what day you are having and we've talked about this before because sometimes there's good days and there's bad days something might have happened but you can, You everybody who's ever been through grief has their coping mechanisms and they have their socially acceptable coping mechanisms. And sometimes that is a humorous story, deflect, don't answer the question and just say a funny story that's going to take the conversation elsewhere. But you can only do that if someone gives you room to do that, such as Mel, tell me about yourself. Yeah. You know, and Mel's answer would be, I love Star Wars. <laughs> I have like five business plans. Uh- <laughs> and, and you've got the availability to tell which and part of your story that you want to yeah not because you're being backed into a corner of saying what you you should say I mean I have girlfriends of mine who've got kids who've her child is 
because they want to be childless, childless by choice, childless might not by choice, childless by circumstance. And can I just tell you this really funny story of boundaries when they were just so far over? Is that all right, Mel? Yes, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so again, I'm I'm British, I'm English. We were in an English pub. So we're in an English pub, summer day in, in, in England when it gets sunny, everybody goes to a pub garden. That's what we do. You know, we don't get many sunny days, so we just go to a pub garden. And I was sat out there with some of my girlfriends who are childless by choice. Okay, now all of our friends know all of our story. Everyone knows everyone else's, so nothing's hidden, right? And a woman comes up and she sat between me and my friend. So childless by choice, childless not by choice. And she's like, do you have kids? Now I know my girlfriends, she can be quite spicy. And we did the, both of us went for like, oh no, you know, just like, that's like, let's the conversation go away. And she goes, oh, don't you want them then? And you're like, oh, 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 <laughs> you know, you're into that conversation where you're like, and you start to see some of our other friends start going, oh, okay, this, this person is not understanding the social cue of just leave that conversation alone. And my friend who is childless by choice said, no, I just don't, I just don't want children. And, oh, you'll change your mind. And you're thinking, and then, and this is what happens. So I'm telling the story. And this was a, you know, she just didn't understand. So she, she was talking to my friend about you'll change your mind. And when you're going to get older, you're going to regret it. Then she said to me, and I just said, oh, no, unfortunately, I haven't had children yet. And she was like, oh, is there something wrong with your womb? And I was like, conversation in public with people and you just the thing is sometimes people don't realize how far over the boundary that they are and you are so far over no one should have to justify what's going on in their womb or not or whether they don't want children it's it's their story to tell when they're ready to when and you don't know what stage of grief they're in with this they, they could, could have just had a miscarriage. They could have just found out again. Like, you just don't know. Yeah. And there was, I mean, during our journey, um, when, so when I was pregnant with the twins, I've been pregnant a couple of times during the process, but I was pregnant with the twins and I had what was called a mis miscarriage. So you go, and this is anybody who ever, who's ever been through this will understand. Most fertility clinics actually have a exit that you don't see, let's say. Okay. So this is when, if you've had bad news, when you go to a fertility clinic, uh, you're bawling, you know, not obviously not in a great place. There's an anti-exit, so they didn't bring you out the front. So you have all these people who are hopeful and happy as you're like, you know, mascara running down the face like the world's just ended. So I, I had a mis miscarriage with the twins. Um, and so I was, because I was expecting twins and it was literally at the 12 week scan of the clinic. So I was already quite big with the twins. Um, but we only told a couple of our friends. And the way it worked is my husband was best man for a friend of ours. So I actually went to the wedding still with the twins on board, let's say, and no one knew, apart from my sister who was there who knew. Um, because she like she was like the designated care person because my husband had to go and do his duties. Um, but I couldn't tell anybody at that point because that was the way, that was my coping process to get through it that no one knew until I was ready to be in that part of that grief to tell someone what's going on. And it's just, it's the things that I think people don't realize that trigger people sometimes, especially if your child is not by choice. If someone's going through IVF, reality is, and if, no, if, if your listeners don't know this, that they probably have a bloated belly because they are on so many drugs. Um, last time I looked like a rotisserie chicken. 
I had so many needles in my stomach. I had uh, steroid injections in my butt that I had to have as well and progesterone injections. So I literally could lie on my side. I mean, I literally was just, I was like a rotisserie chicken. I couldn't move any which way. Um, so you look bloated. Now all that part of that process, you're really worried that someone's going to say to you, are you pregnant? Never ask somebody if they're pregnant. Even if you think that person's pregnant, I don't care whether you're childless, you know, you're trying to get pregnant or you're not. Never ask somebody whether they're pregnant unless they tell you. Because you and just you have all those hormones too, so you're already oh. elevated. Like emotionally. Oh yeah, <laughs> all the drugs. You you know you you can be they're, they're quite tough to take too. And when you're going through this process, it's really it can be really hard and it can be really isolating. So when you're going through um, a different type of grief, and grief is grief. So I I don't like when people say you can't grieve from something. You can grieve grieve from big T trauma or small T trauma. Grief is grief. If you're feeling grief, you're feeling grief. Don't judge it by a label that society said you should not be grieving. And that's what I hope with this podcast too, is like showcasing all of the different forms of it. Absolutely. And when, when you're going through these things, there was definitely, I mean, the first time we went through it, I laugh now in a way because we were so naive. You didn't really understand about it not working. You didn't really understand all the different drugs you didn't understand all the different techniques and bear in mind that was 14 years ago the the science behind it is very different than it is now you know you don't almost end up with a like a degree in reproductive sciences when they're starting to ask about things and have three brazil nuts not seven or do this or don't have this don't put a watch or a phone near your groin or i mean the amount of stuff that there is out there is crazy but there's so many parts of this that you grieve. You grieve for the first time that you thought, oh, okay, I can't just chuck money at this problem. Oh, okay, that didn't work. You grieve for how the hell are you going to get another 10 grand to do it? And we talk, I mean, talking about money, we stopped counting. Because <laughs> someone said to me once, again, over the boundary line here, someone said like, you know, oh, you know, about success and money and stuff. When I said, well, we stopped counting at about 60,000. And we just went, I don't, want, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to know how much we're spending on this anymore. It's, 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 it's a number that's ridiculous, to be fair. So you just go, let's, we stop counting about 60,000. So you never know what someone's going through or what grief, whether they're grieving, okay, that didn't work. Or they're grieving embryos that they've got, or they're grie- grieving the fact that it didn't, you know, in the process, there's so many parts of grief because if you don't collect enough eggs, you're grieving. If the eggs don't fertilize. You can go through this whole process and have no eggs put back in. Yeah. You get that phone call from your clinic and you could be told you're done. You're not going any further. So you're grieving for the fact that they never even went back in. You're then grieving for the fact of, you know, if you get the eggs back in, you've got the two week wait, you know, which is, I would say kind of torturous because you're like, don't think of the thing that you're not thinking about. So don't think of the thing that you're trying to get pregnant in two weeks. Don't think about it. And obviously every time there's a little bit of blood or there's a flutter or on my boobs sore, bear in mind, you've just been on so many hormones. Mm-hmm. You are going, you know, and then if it doesn't work, you're grieving. And there are so many parts of this. And because it isn't a topic that is societally okay to talk about, one in three couples in America and the UK so one in three couples has some kind of fertility challenge. Okay. By the way, isn't the name infertility ridiculous for this? Because why would you, infertile means you can't have kids. Yeah. Well, actually most people are on a journey to do with this. So they're fertility challenged. So I mean, that name just 
angers me because of how it kind of comes out. It's just I don't like labels. You know me, Mel. Don't like labels. <laughs> That's not a label. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> and too. Like with the grief, like it's it's hard to not want. Like I three years in and I still didn't label myself as a widow. I was like, I'm not a widow. I have a dead husband, but I'm not a widow. <laughs> like, because the label, I'm, the label itself can put you in too much of a box, can't it? And it's all those kind of almost accoutrements that come from our society around what that label like, should oh, mean. Poor now. her, she can't have children. Oh, poor her. She's just this yep. this poor widow. And I'm like, no, like I have all of these other things. Like, yeah, this sucks. But that yeah. is not who I am. I don't have this box around me. That's that's what I love. It doesn't define you. It's it is a part of your story, and it's a part of a very sad part of your story, and a sad part of my story that I would never have chosen. But I wouldn't be the person I was right now if that hadn't happened. Yeah. And that's the difficult thing when I tell people about it. They go, "So are you saying that you're grateful for it?" I say, "I'm never going to say I'm grateful." for that happening? Were there insights? Were there lessons? Do I truly work with my clients now on creating financial freedom because it gives them choice? Yes, because if I hadn't realized that how much money can create freedom of options, yes, with coming, you know, having children or not, but also whether you're grieving, you know, in our life, then you can take time off to grieve or you can't. It's money creates freedom. So I wouldn't have asked for it, but the insights from it and the lessons that are available, if you choose to look at them, they are there. Yes. I know, like, I'll say, like, I obviously I wouldn't wish any of this stuff to have happened for me, but I was a cold hearted person, not like in a mean way, but I did not feel emotions. I did not like, you know, just because of my guarded self. And it wasn't until I lost him and I had to go through these things that I was like, oh, I'm a lot more compassionate. Not that I wasn't before, but it was like this whole other level that grew and could I have probably learned it in another life lesson? Probably, but it wasn't until I became a widow and until I had to grieve like that many deaths in a row that I finally started becoming a little bit more emotional and becoming like more open-minded and like, yeah, it's okay to cry. Cause I was like in that tough it up club. Like I always joke that I'm more of a guy just because of the way that I was raised. And so I was also in that club of like, we don't show emotions and we don't feel mm-hmm. things. And so after that happened, I was like, oh, I have to start feeling things or it's going to destroy me. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's finding those blessings to, so to speak and the hurt. And yeah, we, we can never control what happens to us, but we can control our reaction to it and we can control how we learn, evolve and grow from it. Definitely. That's in our control. Yeah. So can I ask you, you a question, Mel? Yes. With what you've been through in terms of grief, how do you find when people know your story? How do you find people treat you and more questions they ask or the questions they don't ask? How is that experience for you? That's a good question. Um, because for a long time, I avoided even remotely allowing people to know my story at all. Um, I feel like for a lot of people, especially if it's strangers, they feel like they're able to share with me more of their own griefs. And I've done this with, because of like, I have YouTube videos or, or with the podcast or just sharing vulnerability on social media. I, I feel like the biggest difference is people feel like they can open up to me because I just shared vulnerability and now they're, they feel more comfortable being like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm struggling with. Oh, like this gives me so much more hope for this. Um, I don't. 
I don't know if it, I think in the beginning it was a lot of like, oh, I'm so sorry. And that I, that's why I didn't like to share ever. Cause I'm like, I don't need you to be sorry for me. Like, don't be sorry for me. Don't like be like, oh, poor her. Like, you know, again, like that, oh, poor her. Um, so I'm very hesitant about who I share and when I share, but yeah, I would say the biggest thing is for the certain people or strangers, they feel like they, they know me better or they feel like they can connect and they can trust me to share their own vulnerabilities. If that, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, that really resonates um, for me as well. Cause I, I'm very much an advocate for talking about being child is not by choice. Uh, and talk about it often in a context when people are like, but but I don't, that's not my area. I don't, I don't coach people through uh, fertility or anything like that. Yeah. But I have a lot of my clients who have been through their own fertility journey. And my experience is very similar to yours, Mel. When I post about things to do with being childless, not by choice, normally privately, because sometimes this can still be seen as a taboo subject, they don't know what to say, is I have so many people reach out to me saying, oh, I never knew that. I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, I just assumed that you were a successful woman and you don't want kids. Or they, people make up a narrative because they don't That's know the story as well. So that they just assume, you know, they, they don't understand. They understand that as you and your son. They, they just have made up a part of a story because they didn't know the missing part of it. But I would say for majority, I have a lot of people reach out to me and say, thank you so much for telling your story. Um, about things such as loneliness and awkwardness and um, there's occasions especially in our social media world that you know Mother's Days and Father's Days you will find a lot of people who are childless not by choice will just avoid social media because the posts can make you feel less than because you know again we have a societal message that says to be a to be a mother or to be a father is the ultimate um you know kind of accolade therefore if you haven't and especially when it's not by choice you are less than you are you know oh, don't know where to put you I mean I've been kicked out of mums clubs I, I didn't realize I joined a mums club on Facebook and someone kicked me out when I I went they went are you a mum I was like no I don't have any biological children are you a stepmom no are you a bonus mum I was like okay well I don't know what the bonus mum is but I'm not one of them either um and there was a list and I said no they said oh you can't join this group it's like ooh. I mean, I'm pretty, I was sort of fine with it, but some people would really struggle with that. And the other thing I will say is to anybody listening who's got any friends that they think might be going through any kind of fertility journey, or they may have be childless by choice or not by choice, just ask. And don't say you're sorry. Because again, when someone says, oh, I'm really sorry for me, and then I felt like I'm being patted on the head. It's like, oh, and you're like, Okay. Not just makes me much. mad and I'm about to <laughs> blow up on you so please don't say that <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously on the podcast you can't see me and Mel's faces but we're straight <laughs> like, faces no. up, it does, you don't. No. I don't need you patting me on the head yeah. but even saying sometimes if you tell your story Mel and someone says I don't know what to say and sometimes that you go that's great because there isn't really much you can say it just, and even it acknowledging that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just letting you know, this is just the fact that it's a, in yeah. part of my life. <laughs> yeah. And that, that can be really, that can be just honest sometimes, because sometimes people are then trying to craft the best answer in their head. And then it comes out in a way probably they don't mean to. Um, and the other thing I know, it's really difficult for some of my friends with children, because then they, they may go, I, I, I don't know how to talk about this with you, because I feel like I've got kids. And I can't say to you, my, you know, little whatever else is playing up because you're going, oh, and I'm like, I'm not 
saying because we wanted kids, you know, that like your child's going to be a golden No, no I hate your whole family. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's those, like, how dare you have a fun time with your kids? <laughs> don't exactly, talk to me. Don't do things. No, I mean, it's, it's, and I think the misconception is many people who've been through childless not by choice, you don't want someone else's baby. You want your baby. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you're like, like, I love your kid for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, me and my sister are very, very similar. That I would say, like, I'm not necessarily super maternal. So people as well, when they know our story, they have a habit of thrusting babies in my hands. And I'm like, huh, um, never met your kid before. I don't, I don't want yours to rent for like half an hour. Thanks. <laughs> and I know they mean it from a really great place, but there's not even a question, would you like to hold the baby? And if you go, no, because one of my fr- one of my friends again, girlfriends who doesn't want kids, she's like, no, no, don't put that on. <laughs> I don't want to hold your child. You, you almost again can't say these things. I suppose you're going, no, I don't want to go on a date, thanks. I don't want to be set up with somebody else that you might know. <laughs> you just sometimes just say, I don't know what to say. Yes. And I think too, it's, it's having more people being open about it too and sharing. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I mean, I had my son accidentally, like, of course I'm grateful for him and all of the things, but, um, yeah, like people, like when people ask me if I'm, if I plan to have another one, I'm like, I wasn't even planning on that. Like, I don't know where my life is going to take me. I would like to be in a different place and have a different partner. Like, but there's like a whole, whole thing that goes into that. So. And isn't that like, such a personal question? I mean, I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> like, like we're just at the gym together. Like, why are you asking my life story, my life goals? Like, ask me for a good know. juice bar or something like that. Like, ask you me, something ask me about like my diet or something, but like, don't ask me about this much. But mm-hmm. I think too, like, I know because I had had him and I was like 22 at the time. So that's very, not something that people are like, oh yeah, I'm having infertility or, you know, I'm having fertility problems. Like that's not in my head at 22. And I remember there was one of my friends who just, she's known since she was little that she wasn't going to be able to have kids. And so she had shared that with me at one point, but then I had a neighbor of sorts and I had asked, I was like, oh, like, do you have any plans? Cause I didn't, you know, think about it at the time. And like, cause she was watching and she like loved kids. And so I was like, are you guys trying? Are you guys wanting to have him? And then that's when I like opened the box of like, oh, like this is a serious, like a lot of people are struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And I think now, thankfully it's gotten a little, not mainstream necessarily, but it's gotten a lot more public view of, Hey, don't ask about this. Don't make jokes on April fools that you're pregnant. Like, you know, all of these things. And it's because of more people speaking up about it. Mm -hmm. I think it helps kind of okay. That was a like that. I shouldn't have asked that. Like, and it's, again, it goes back to the it wasn't ill-intentioned, but you don't know where they're at on that grief journey yeah. of whether or not it was too much. Because it seems like a natural question just to ask, isn't it? It just seems when you're trying to get to know someone, you ask about mm-hmm. someone's partner, you ask about their kids, you ask about, it's just like we have a little checklist, but it just, you know, the question should be reframed. Tell me about your family, because then you're not even talking about a partner or kids. You're just talking about telling like, like it could be their dog, it could be their and cat. Like, and it, it could be family not by blood. It could be yeah. anything that they deem to be family. It could be their fur children, fur babies, we call them often. You know, it can be whatever it wants to be. But actually, you're not making someone into a position or feel bad because your question has a bias of something that they should have or should want. 
Yeah. Some people might not want a partner. Some people want to be single. So mm-hmm. something's some saying like, tell you know, have you got a partner? Yeah, when are you going to get married? <laughs> has a bias that you should want one. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an odd like circumstance. And it is just, it's just, it's in, so it's in our movies, it's in all these things. So it's Absolutely. ingrained in us. But it is like a, like, oh, are you going to start dating? I was like, well, I have my priorities. If somebody happens to come into my life that aligns with my busy life, then cool. But like, no, I'm not out here looking and like, it's not a priority to me. If it happens, cool. But it, and then it like feels awkward because I'm like, oh, well, like again, with the, like the social cues, some people are like, oh yeah, totally get it. Like, and then other people be like, don't you want, like, don't, what about, what about this? I'm like, why does that matter? Like, this is like, you don't even know me. <laughs> but I mean, we have, if, when you look at our society, we even have terms. We have the term spinster. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a derogatory term. No one says, oh, you're a spinster. Like, you, you wouldn't hear that. So we have these terms, especially for women who ha- aren't married or don't have children or, you know, there, there's these terms that we have that have come if you go not too far in the, you know, the recent past, why do women, and this is slightly off topic, but it's, it's why we get our narratives. Why do, why do we take our, our husband's surname? Because we couldn't own land and we couldn't put land in our own names. So the land that came with us when we were married went from our fathers to our husbands. You know, if you're not talking that long ago that women actually got certain rights, obviously some of them have gone backwards. Um, <laughs> Some of them go backwards recently. And, you know, it's a really interesting point when you talk about Roe v. Wade um, of how that's going to impact assisted conception. Because whilst the current changes don't seem to take into account um, life that is created in a lab as such, it isn't too much of a stretch, really, for legislation to move to the fertilized embryos that are in that are in storage yeah and whether a clinic could dispose of them or not so you know the recent changes do have made a lot of people in the assisted conception world a bit scared of what is happening and what can you even start sharing publicly now because now you don't know is this going to be legal next week is this going to be illegal next week yeah so it's, 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 and for some uh, topics, I mean, at least we're getting, you know, this are wider topics, but topics that are actually were hidden for so long have the potential to go back to being hidden and underground again, because people don't feel, one, it was becoming societally normal to say you were struggling to conceive, but now if there is legislation that's becoming a threat, let's say, that people are going to want to hide more and more, and that kind of isolation and grief is dangerous. And whether you're talking, it doesn't matter what type of grief we're talking about. One of the biggest problems with grief is isolation. And, you know, when you're going through the the, the five cycles of grief, the anger one is the one that almost is actually easy because people can see the anger. It's, It's when you get to the depression part of grief. And if you are isolated, you don't want to tell people because you feel like you can't as well now from a legal point of view, then actually that's really scary ground as someone who's been through these kind of things to think about couples who are there and are now completely isolated and can't put their hand up and say, I'm struggling. And they couldn't tell them why they're struggling with their mental health or depression regarding this. Yeah. It's, it's all the layers for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know like with me and like with like the grieving, like, 
even though death of like a loved one is pretty much everyone has dealt with it in some shape or form all my friends are newly married like I was the opposite so like I you know met him got pregnant got married four months in and then was a wife while my girlfriends were getting their bachelor's degrees or working on their master's or getting their doctoral Mm -hmm. and then now I'm a widow and they're all starting a family and now there's this awkward like okay well they don't know what I'm dealing with so I'm mm-hmm. just going to stay down here. Nobody I nobody I know has ever lost, you know. So there is this isolation, but I don't, I can still publicly share about that without this like fear of, you know, some type of issue. Maybe not the whole circumstance, which now I've started to open up a lot more about mm-hmm. just because it's such a prominent and with the issue, like with drug usage and things. But to like not be able to share it from a legal standpoint is like a whole other level, I feel. Yeah, I, I and what you were just saying, Mel, about um, even our friendship groups can sometimes not know how to handle things. I think there's kind of how are you? Three words. You don't have to say how are you doing with your depression or how are you doing with your grief or how are you doing with your fertility journey or how are you doing with you know your miss miscarriage or how are you doing with the fact that you just buried your baby or whatever else is going on. But just a how are you? It can make the world of difference if you are having a day like that and you are feeling very isolated just for someone message that and even you know the greatest friends they can do it all the time you don't need always a call it could just be a text or a message and again the greatest friends sometimes you might never get a response because I know from my point of view and just your smile well right now I'm like I don't respond how are you (laughs) sometimes if someone said how are you when you physically started like typing a response back and the tears had come or whatever else, and you're like, I can't press into that right now. And yeah, I have amazing friends who would still message me saying, how are you the next day? They didn't need my response yeah. or they, to just let me know that they were there because even that, sometimes you can't process. When someone says, how are you? That question goes, how am I actually? <laughs> how, how am I? <laughs> I've done my teeth, I've brushed my hair. Um, I've fed myself. No one's died today. Like all my family, I'm supposed to be looking after in the furry pets or whatever. Everyone's alive. So we're good. You know, and sometimes that is a win. Yeah. Those days can be a win. I got out of bed. I ate some food. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I and think the thing that you mentioned too is really important to keep in mind for friends who are reaching out is like, just because they don't respond doesn't mean it wasn't appreciated. Yeah. And yeah. I think that can be really hard, especially because like we, we do like to have that feel good return and we're like, oh, well, I reached out to them. Like, why are they not reaching back out? But like you said, like it could just trigger that thing for them on their end. Like I remember like one of my friends, we hadn't seen each other in like a year or so, no, probably a few years, but we met up and she's like, how are you? She's like, how are you really? Like, she's like, don't lie. <laughs> like, and be like, oh, I'm good. Like, and I was like, I teared up because I was like, oh my gosh, like, no, I'm not great. Like, like shit sucks. Like, but mm-hmm. it was just like, and of course, like, I didn't go into like full blown detail or anything, but just having that, how are you really? Like, and you don't have to respond, but you're yeah. able to at least express that on your end, regardless of if you respond, you're, you're going to like open up something that maybe you were hiding to, even from yourself. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing. And I want to pick up on something that you said, because I see this as a coach often, especially if I'm doing group coaching. When someone cries, people can 
feel uncomfortable so they try and shut it down not not they're not doing it from a point of malice but crying is something again society we're like why oh we're crying in public now crying if I talk about an energetic point of view is just energy leaving the body Mm -hmm. so sometimes the greatest gift that you can give someone is just to let them cry and they might not be able to articulate what's in those tears and they don't have to but giving your friend or someone you know that space and that grace just to cry without trying to make them stop because there's something people hand you tissues like <laughs> let's stop crying stop crying stop crying you know and that's the worst thing because there's some by the way from a neuroscience point of view never and don't say this to children either never say stop crying because the only word that you hear is crying so you, you what you mean is dry your eyes you know so by the way never stop saying that because someone can't they've only heard the word you command cry they're just gonna keep going but that point when people try and shut it down be really aware are you actually trying to help the person or are you deeply uncomfortable that someone's crying because you asked them a question and if so just let them be yeah just just snot rockets tears mascara running down the face you know if it's a friend help them so it doesn't drip on the you know off the chin onto a a blouse or something apart from that just let them be because they that's what they need to do in part of their healing process isn't it it's just just cry just let let it release I think that, and that's something that it's, it's funny too, because it's, it's just so another one of those cultural, like, oh, like it's okay to feel emotions. Oh, you're crying though. Like, oh, I don't know what to do now, (laughs) but it is really like, and you do feel better. Like half the time, like, I won't, like, I I might know a little bit of like why, but I'm like, I don't know why I'm crying like this. Like, I don't know what I needed to release, but apparently something needed to leave my body. And I think there is this. Yeah not trying to fix the problem, I think is something too, of like just letting it happen. Like it's, it's going to fix itself. So just let them be and be like, it's okay. It's okay. Just be, yeah. just be there. It's okay. Just yeah, let me do, know if you want to talk. Just I'll be here and just let them be and let them have the grace of what they need to do to heal. Cause it is healing. Tears are healing. And they, you know, keeping them in, keeping that energy in the body doesn't ever do them well. Um, because, you know, whatever you have said, whether you meant to or not, or whatever you just showed or shared, or it can be, you can do something, you can do nothing when someone's grieving and they will just release, let's say. Um, so one of the things too, I wanted to touch base on it. I know we got a little um, side conversation things too, but um, one of the things that you like to talk about a lot is legacy. And I would love to hear, because I know I, there's a lot of people who go through the IVF journey and they do get that, that their goal at the end of, of being able mm-hmm. to have this child, but there are still a lot of people, whether they showcase most probably don't bring it up, um, that they weren't able to conceive. And so I'd love to hear what your version of this creation of legacy is for not having a child, because a lot of people it's like, all right, well, this is our legacy. Like, and we have our children and they're going to carry this down and you know, whatever. I'm not at that point yet where I think about it a whole lot (laughs) minus on your podcast episode, (laughs) but I'd love to just hear from you about how you can redefine this legacy in a different way that doesn't include passing down to your children or passing down to whoever. And it's, it's true to pick up on your point that most of the time you hear fertility stories, you hear the happy ending because an unhappy ending makes us uncomfortable. It's like going to watch a movie and go, what? What, what do you mean? Like what, everybody what? died? Like, this is <laughs> There's no good. And, and I, again, I'm using humor, but people often don't like it when there's not the happy ending. Yeah. And for us, I think when we were much younger, 
we never considered legacy. And if, if I'm honest, we probably considered it lazily. We just kind of went, we well, got kids. It doesn't that, that your legacy. Like we didn't think about it any more than that. And whether we do or don't ever have children, because I'm a firm believer in you, ne- you never know what might happen in the universe. It has made us, because me and my husband, my husband is my business partner in another business that we own together. So we are very much like a team in most things. Um, it makes us consider what does legacy mean to us? I mean, we have nieces and nephews and there is money and people ask us, oh, what are you going to do with the money once you're gone? You're like, wow, I'm only 42, give it a chance. You know? <laughs> Again, personal question. Like, question for my deathbed already, kind of rude. <laughs> like, whew, hang on, still doing quite well, not quite there yet. Um, but it makes us think about what does legacy mean to us? And we, we from some other issues that have happened to us in terms of grief, so my husband lost his father um, seven years ago through cancer. And one of the things from that was he never retired because he got diagnosed literally as he was going to retire. Mm. So I've been traveling with my husband in Europe for five months and this is a mini retirement. So we had an agreement. Our legacy is that we don't ever want to wait till we're older to have those adventures, to have those things that you put off till you retire or later in life or whatever else. We made a deal with each other. And this was probably, it was after my uh, pops passed away. That's what I call my father-in-law. Um, so it's about it's just after he passed away. So about six and a half years ago, we made this kind of pact with each other that that whether and that was you know when I was I was still in my mid thirties that I was good, doing good. <laughs> my ovaries weren't old. I wasn't going to be a geriatric mum. Let's talk about that another thing. Um, that's what technically, if I, if I got pregnant now, I'd be classified as a geriatric. I have one uh, on my podcast. I have somebody who she's like, I'm still young and I'm a geriatric. I oh, like, I know. Oh, it's no, nothing like you like, <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I was like, you're so gonna... young, regardless <laughs> of that title. I'm sorry that they gave you that title. I was like, you're not 80. Like... <laughs> but we, we decided, even when I wasn't going to be a geriatric mom, that um, our legacy is around impact. So it's around that the two of us to live our life now, to not put our life on hold or, or think about things, but actually legacy for me means impact, which is quite interesting because see, I have my podcast called Building Legacy and people don't ask me the question often. So for me, it's about, there's, there's what I would say is current legacy. So current legacy for me is how you make people feel and what people say about you when you're not in the room. Okay, and it has nothing to do with money or impact. And it has, well, it has to do an impact of, of the ripple effect you have on people because your podcast will, will um, resonate and impact people that you will never know about now. Okay. So it you doesn't have to reach to me or anything. Yes. I'll never know. You'll never know any of those things. So there's this, what I would say is present legacy of the work that we do and how you can impact someone, how you can be there for them, how you can show up as a business coach or a success coach or just as a friend in ways that you are never going to know. But going forward, you know, we, we have different ideas in terms of what we want to do with creating our legacy in terms of what that means. One for me, I have a part of my legacy creation would be to help younger entrepreneurs. I, I didn't, as I said, I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. And I was told blatantly when I was at school, go and get a corporate job because I had the grades and everything else to go and do it. So when I said I wanted to start my own business, I was like, well, what, what, don't do that. And I, I mentor for a university and I mentor for Santander at the moment. And I have to say, some of the younger entrepreneurs, they know the theory of business, but not the actual practicalities of business or how to make money or margins or how to set up a business. And, you know, you start talking about pensions when you're in your 20s. I'm like, literally set up your pension as soon as you've got any money coming in. 
because those first 10 years will make the difference between you retiring with a lot of money to a lot less, less you know, changing the money scope that you're going to have. But that education we don't really do in schools. We don't do young entrepreneurial education. So for me, because of the freedom it's given us in terms of making money, I think there is a lot of younger people who would, and I say younger people, I'm an old fart, I'm 42. So I'm saying like <laughs> you know, teenagers and early 20s that would make different decisions if they knew they could make their own money and make good money and start building their legacy up in terms of a business when they're in their 20s. I love that. And I think too, like remembering like your legacy. I love the whole, like, you may never know the impact that you made. And then like, it helps too. And it's something that I've had, cause I'm such an analytical person. I like to see the numbers I want to see, even though I'm like, no, I'm not, but no, I am. I'm very much an analytical person, but something that I've had to work on is the impact of one and then the trickle that ripple of like okay but that person helps that person and then that person helps that person and Mm -hmm. next thing you know you've helped thousands of people you just didn't know and so I think there is a beauty of of putting yourself out there or or creating that legacy that you mean I mean half the time what like these like libraries and things are named after people but they're dead you know like so they don't know the impact that they're making or their foundations and things like that. <laughs> Christian's in the background watching a YouTube video. <laughs> and the thing is with our with the way that podcasts and social media platforms are all set up, that we can look at the ripple effect being does someone leave you a review on the podcast. Now, Mel's listeners, I'm gonna say if you're listening to this podcast, not just because it's my episode, which I think is a great episode, but I'm <laughs> saying like I think for all of Mel's podcasts, go and leave her a review because while she doesn't need it, it does help. Yeah. you create more impact for other people because it gets higher up in the algorithms. And this is, can be the challenge when you are trying to be of service to people, You, especially with tricky subjects such as grief, and people might not always want to leave a review, but actually that can help more people seeing this valuable content that you're doing, Mel. And it can be difficult, can't it? I know you're grieving. I know you're listening to this for a reason, but could you leave me a review? So I'm going to ask you, Mel, leave Mel a review. This podcast <laughs> is awesome. Go leave her a review because it'll help. <laughs> that's something I it was funny I um well this won't be recorded but it's July 14th right now and I was up to like three four o'clock so again as I mentioned she Lauren was my business coach and one of the things she'd always yell at me about was how late I'd be up but I'm like in my zone at those times I see hang on hang on I love this I, I never yell. I n- I'm not yelling. You get the Laura look. You get she the Laura look. You, and you just know that you're in trouble. <laughs> I love people working into their own things. So when we talk about legacy, I'm like, create your own legacy. If you're a night owl, you're a night owl. Part yeah. of your issue was always the fact that you're a night owl, but you had to get yourself. I'm like, thoughts. I'm a night owl, but also seven o'clock, I have to be up to take care of myself. Now we're a little bit better because I'm slightly homeschooling. I'm in summer right now, but I I can mm-hmm. sleep until ten now, so I don't. I can, 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 can sleep until three or four, and then I can sleep until ten or eleven. So it's it's there. But mm-hmm. it was funny because I was starting to work on an outro, and I can I couldn't remember what outro was, so I said extra, and I was like. I was like, oh my gosh, this is why. Like, I was like, I need to get some structure going on. But that is something that I'm also working on too, is like having this extra or this mm-hmm. extra, this outro of like, hey, like leave a review or like I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Or I know I've shared in other episodes too. Like, I'm finally starting to be like in a better headspace where I'm like ready to start and actually like sharing these publicly and like being more consistent about like publicizing it on social media. And I think that's part of the healing process too, is like, you may not like, you can still be like 
you know, creating those small ripples. And then later on, you can come back and like amplify it. So I can go back to like a year of making podcasts every other week or so and start being like, Hey, like, yeah, it's a year ago, but you know what? The content still matters. So I think that's, I want to say this here, because I think when we talk about creating legacy, we talk about grief that there's a perception that you have to be perfect. So, I mean, not that you can see me and Mel as we're recording this, but I, I haven't shed a tear. And it's because I've done so much healing. I've let go of so many things. However, I have spoken about this on public stages. And for some reason that day, I've got tears coming down. I don't feel less than. I don't feel, I don't worry that it wasn't perfect. I don't worry about any of those things. It's just, oh, there's another layer of healing that needs to happen. And it just happens right there on stage and the tears are coming out. So if you're being of service, then actually don't make it perfect. Just make it, it's where you are. Tears, no tears, not rockets, mascara running, whatever's voice cracking. It just will be what it is. Yeah. And people like authenticity. So absolutely. That. Well, I want to head into a closing. Um, if you have any kind of like recommendations or just some advice to somebody who is maybe on this end of, you know, maybe we are childless. Maybe this is, you know, not necessarily closing the door forever. Cause like you said, like, you just never know things can happen, but they're on this end of accepting mm. that this could be the life that they're going to have. Um, or for somebody who's listening, who has friends who are in this stage, um, what kind of advice or recommendations would you leave? If it's you personally who's going through this, um, the stage of acceptance of grief and be aware that you are grieving. Whatever society tells you, you are grieving for a dream that um, you potentially don't have. You're grieving for a child that you may or may not have. You're grieving for the way that you wanted to have children. You may never have wanted to see um, had your legs up in stirrups so many times that you've had if you've gone through any kind of assisted conception. Um, so you're grieving for a lot of things. If that's you who's going through it, when you shed so I'm saying when you shed when you heal you will get to a point of acceptance acceptance doesn't mean that you chose this and it doesn't mean that you are necessarily fine with never having children but it means that you are because you are already so anybody who's listening to me who's going through this you are whole you are awesome you are amazing just as you are you are whole you are awesome you are amazing just as you are with or without children you are whole you are awesome you're amazing just as you are and don't let anybody tell you that you're not because you're on a journey. If you know a friend who's going through this or a family member who's going through this, I would just say, just be there for them. Ask them questions. Don't ask them the pregnant one. Don't ask them you're gonna have kids, but just say, how are things with you? You know, a friend, if they wanna tell you, will tell you. And the next question, if they are going through anything like an assisted conception, ask them, how can I help you? How can I support you? Don't assume that you know, because depends, they know, I've been on a huge amount of drugs when I was going through it. And, you know, you're literally going through menopause and then you're ramped up suddenly like your body thinks you're pregnant. You're a hormonal wreck. You can be. Some people are fine. You know, I'd be like watching something. I'd be in bursting into tears. My husband's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I've run out of sweets. And you'd be like, what the, you know, it's so just ask a friend or someone, you know, is going through it. How can I support you? What do you need? Do you need anything from me? They, and they will tell you or they will say, can you just give me space? You know, so ask someone who's going through it. And the question to ask is, tell me about your family. Never ask somebody if they've got kids. And how can people find you if they like? You can go to, 
yeah, you can go to laurapainstanley.com, which is Laura, L-A-U-R-A-P-P-A-Y-N-E, because no one can ever spell my name, stanley.com. So you can go and do that. If you search, you can find my TEDx talk that I did recently. And I'm also on Instagram, Laura Payne Stanley. Perfect. And I will also have those in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Mel. It's been, as always, a delight talking to you. It's always an interesting conversation that you and I have. (laughs) Thank you again.